privilege tonight to have one of our very own that is going to be preaching tonight, uh, Dr. Janine McConaughey. And um, I've just gotten to meet her recently, and it was a privilege. And so I know that uh, God has laid the message on her heart that we need to hear tonight. So could we just bow for a word of prayer before she comes to us? Our precious Heavenly Father, we bow before you tonight, and we welcome you in this place. Father, I thank you for the words of these songs that remind us that you've done so much for us. We're not worthy. We don't deserve it. But your love, your amazing, bountiful love flows down into our lives day after day after day. Lord, we want you to know that your name gives us comfort. The name of Jesus, the name that is above every name. Father, we look forward to what you have in your word tonight to share with us through Dr. McConaughey. And I pray, Lord, for your anointing upon her. I pray, Lord, that she would be your instrument. Lord, we just thank you so very much for the power of your word that changes our hearts, that gives us new insight, that gives us strength beyond ourselves. We thank you in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. We really don't deserve it, do we? And uh, whenever I speak in chapel, that realization hits me. Whoa, how did I get here? <laughs> you know? Um, as you know, if you've ever heard me speak, I have, to, I have to find all of you when I get up here. I have to know where you are. And uh, I have to, because sometimes I th say things that I want to look specifically at you. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> that was a joke, all right? Um, have you ever felt like that in church, though? <laughs> He's looking at me. He's talking just right to me. No, that's not what I'm doing. Um, along the way, somewhere, most of us lost the art of letter writing. Um, how many of you actually wrote a letter in the last week? I mean, a full letter. I think I have two. So I think I'm right in saying that, that most of us, oh, three. Most of us have lost the art of letter writing. Um, it may have come when we started doing email. But for me, it, the loss came much earlier than that. But I do know that up until college, um, up until I graduated from, from college, I actually did write letters. I really did. When I was sorting through my mother's things, uh, when she was getting ready to pass last year, I found a whole drawer full of all the letters I had written her. Um, and I thought, oh, there really should have been more, you know? But, but they were all there, all stashed. And I have them in a box that's sitting in Phoenix <laughs> that one day I will actually get, and I'll read through them. But uh, I know for sure that I, that I wrote letters. 
um, when I was a kid, my friends and I, we wrote letters to each other. I moved a lot. So everywhere I went, I picked up a new best friend, and, and we would write letters. And my parents would complain about the stamps. They had no idea, did they, <laughs> how much stamps were going to cost eventually. So, uh, and, and for some reason, I saved all those letters. I saved them in this box that I moved with me and moved with me. And so now that we're, you know, we've raised our children, and I've given them back their letters, and they're having a great time reading all the letters that they sent me. But I wonder, in those college years when I wrote those letters to my parents, I wonder what I thought was important enough to actually write you know, in cursive, um, and then took all the went to all the trouble to get a stamp, and then to take it wherever I needed to take it to mail it. You know, it was it was it's far from clicking send, isn't it? It takes effort. I mean, when you get a letter from someone, you know that they put thought into it, that they they felt what they had to say was important enough to put in a letter. What an effort. How much will be lost to the next generation because we don't write letters? Uh, there was this great news interview about the love letters written by former President George W. Bush to his wife, Barbara. And the interview is on the internet if you ever get a chance to watch it. It's, it's lovely. The video in which he was interviewed by his granddaughter talks about a whole generation that communicated through letters and the treasured memories we have because they did that. We know that letter writing has been a means of communication for the Christian community since the first century. Where would our understanding of the faith be without the letters that were written by the apostles to the early church? Think about it. Tonight, we'll be looking specifically at a letter from John the third book of John, which is really just a letter. And I'm going to, I'm going to be putting, the, I put the verses on slides because I didn't, I know you'll be reading it too, but I wanted it to look like a letter. Because sometimes when we read it from the Bible, we forget that it was a letter because it's all divided up by the verses. So you'll notice that I didn't include the verses and I won't tell you to look at a specific verse because I want you to think about it as a letter. This letter is addressed from the elder to my dear friend Gaius, whom I love in the truth. Dear friend, I know that your spiritual life is going well. I pray that you also may enjoy good health and I pray that everything else may go well with you. That's a letter, isn't it? Some believers came to me and told me that you are faithful to the truth. They told me that you continue to live by it. That gave me great joy. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are living by the truth. While we really don't know the specific community to which this letter was written, from the names included in the letter, it is believed to be a group of Gentile Christians with whom the, the writer was very, very familiar. Though we cannot be sure, John may have been instrumental in their conversion or, at a minimum, involved in their growth as Christians. 
it is clear that the writer is proud of their testimony. I get that because I am nearing my 30th year of sending out college graduates. 30 years. You know, until Facebook came along, I really did not know what many of those students were doing. I could only hope and pray, like John, I could, that I could say, some believers came to me and told me that you are faithful to the truth. They told me that you continue to live by it. That gave me great joy. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are living by the truth. For many of my former students, I no longer worry about this. I have 950 friends, and they are all over the country. They are all over the world. They started on their journey to serve Jesus Christ, and they are still at it. They do give me great joy when I see that they are teaching, sharing the gospel, building churches, leading others to Christ. I especially rejoice when they share that one of their own children came to Jesus. And two of my friends uh, shared that as their status last week. So let's continue in John's letter. Dear friend, you are faithful in what you are doing for the believers. You are faithful even though they are strangers to you. They have told the church about your love. Please help them by sending them on their way in a manner that honors God. They started on their journey to serve Jesus Christ. They didn't receive any help from those who aren't believers. So we should welcome people like them. We should work together with them for the truth. Just like those who provided for strangers in John's letter, my former students have had others provide for them. That is how it should happen. We as God's instruments, as a college and as a church, we should send you out and you should go to serve Jesus Christ. And Christians in those places where you go to serve should provide and care for you. It's totally biblical. But just because it's biblical, just because it's right, just because it's just, just because, well, just because of a lot of things, that doesn't mean that it will turn out that way. I have to get negative here because life can take a bad turn, and so does John's letter. He says, we ought therefore to show hospitality to such men so that we may work together for the truth. I wrote to the church, but Diotrephes, who loves to be first, will have nothing to do with us. So if I come, I will call attention to what he is doing, gossiping maliciously about us. Not satisfied with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers. He also stops those who want to do so and puts them out of the church. Boy, that was a turn in the letter, wasn't it? Third John was written around 90 AD, and there had been adequate time for church structure uh, like what we're more accustomed to as a traditional church to develop. So in this case, outsiders, quote unquote, outsiders had arrived at the church to share in the work, but instead of being welcomed with hospitality, they were turned away. And anyone who tried to provide hospitality was removed from the church. 
There is speculation about the reason it happened, but I'm glad that it's not actually specified because it can happen anywhere and it can happen for a number of reasons. The picture these verses describe is one which many of us have experienced. Not everyone in the church lives a life that is pleasing to God. Sad to say, isn't it? So what should happen? Hospitality should be shown to all, and all should work together for the truth. What can happen? Someone wants to be first. Godly counsel is ignored. Malicious gossip occurs. Hospitality is not offered. Others are prevented from offering hospitality, and good people are driven from the church. For 20 years, I sent out mostly traditional age students at graduation. For the past nine years, I've sent out mostly adult students, some very adult students. <laughs> I knew that you, I could hear you laugh. <laughs> yes. I love her laugh. I knew that that laugh would come there. Uh, adults are less apt to believe that the church is perfect. Wouldn't you all agree with that? You know, we've been here a little while, we know that. But you are not immune to the hurt that occurs in these situations. So, if it's a journey that we're sending you out on, and we can be quite certain that it will not be a perfect journey, what is the packing list? What is it that you need as you continue on your journey to serve Jesus Christ? What did John say in the letter to answer that question? Isn't it interesting? All of this is just in this letter. Dear friend, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. Anyone who does what is good is from God. Anyone who does what is evil has not seen God. Demetrius is well spoken of by everyone and even by the truth itself. We also speak well of him and you know that our testimony is true. I have much to write to you, but I do not want to do so with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon, and we will talk face to face. Peace to you. The friends here send their greetings. Greet the friends there by name. It's a letter. So, what are the instructions in those verses that I just read? First of all, do good and resist those who would draw you into the dissension. The verse said, dear friends, do not imitate what is evil but do what is good. You know, leaders emerge in all situations where people gather. Psychology, you study this, about the rise of leaders in a situation. Um, I have to confess to watching Lost. Um, I didn't watch it when it was actually on TV. I got hooked on it when, when it was on disc. And so I didn't miss all the commercials. I'm so glad, Hank, because they would stop at these really dramatic points. And you just wanted to know what happened. And I just went on. So, but in the story of Lost, if you watched it, it is a picture of this. It's a picture of leaders emerging and people following. And it demonstrates that in every situation, there will be leaders and there will be followers. And it actually, it also demonstrates that everyone is both a leader and a follower, just depending on the situation that you're in. Sometimes you're leading, sometimes you're following. 
John is saying, in this situation, those of you who are following choose to follow good and not evil. The problem is that sometimes evil can be disguised as good. Going back to the Lost series, you just have to forgive me. I just had to go there again. You were never quite sure who was the good guy and who was the bad guy. Sometimes the bad guys were doing good, sometimes the good guys were doing bad, and you just couldn't figure it out. Have you ever been convinced by someone to do something they convinced you was right, only to realize in hindsight that it was not so? That's a horrible sinking feeling, isn't it? So how do you make wise choices about whom you are going to follow? John points the dividing line. It's truth. Not the world's truth, which is ever-changing, but God's truth, which is always the same. We must be sure that we are following those who love, respect, and honor the truth. That is not easy to do, but Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. So maybe the phrase, what would Jesus do, applies here. As simple as it is, our actions are often motivated by many factors completely alien to what Jesus would choose to do or who to follow in the same situation. Matthew Henry sums up the problem. Both the heart and the mouth must be watched. The temper and the spirit of Diotrephes was full of pride and ambition. It is bad not to do good ourselves, but it is worse to hinder those who would do good. Evil workers vainly pretend or boast acquaintance with God. Let us not follow that which is proud, selfish, and of a bad design, though the example may be given by a person of rank and power. But let us be followers of God and walk in love after the example of our Lord. Remember, just because someone is in a leadership position doesn't mean that they are right. But in respect to their position, it is crucial to understand their motivation and intent. Then respond in ways that do not diminish your own spiritual walk and personal character. It is not so much about what they do, it is about what you choose to do. How will those who are under you in your leadership perceive your actions in relation to leaders who are over you? The second point, do that which you know to be of God to the best of your ability. Anyone who does what is good is from God. Anyone who does that which is evil has not seen God. Do you know that it is completely possible to be completely convinced about your rightness and not be righteous. It is possible to be completely convinced about your rightness and not be righteous. It is also possible to work very, very hard but totally miss the point. Why are you there? What is God's purpose? So much of what we muddle in every day has little to do with God's purpose unless we consciously consider the long-term eternal consequences. This is not an easy task when we are lost in the mundane minutia of life. As Christians, everything we do in life has an eternal purpose. We can't allow ourselves to be swayed by a worldview which does not include a godly eternal purpose. We must do all for the glory of God. Third point, value and keep your good name. 
The verse, Demetrius, is well spoken of by everyone and even by the truth itself. We also speak well of him, and you know that our testimony is true. Matthew Henry says, a name in the gospel or a good report in the churches is better than worldly honor. Your name is an important, important thing. Consider that you are writing your reference letter. Every few months I receive a request for a reference letter. Someone's looking for a job, trying to get into a graduate program, or they want, and they want me to say really good things about them. I have a file of these types of letters in my computer, and they fall into three categories. First of all, superior. No, that was Demetrius. Just superior. Amazing. Loves God. Follows the truth. Then I have this second category where I talk about areas of strength and then I talk about potential. But then I have a third category where I say something positive and then I talk about the need for mentoring. Which character template are you choosing? Demetrius chose the first one. He was well spoken of by everyone and even by the truth itself. I mean, you really have to think about that. Even the truth spoke well of him. Now that is a reference letter. Can you maintain that in a difficult situation? It depends on the first two points that I made. Who will you follow and will you do what you know to be of God to the best of your ability? Fourth point. Keep a support group and find a mentor. The verse says, I have much to write to you, but I do not want to do so with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon, and we will talk face to face. Peace to you. The friends here send their greeting. First, you need long-distance friends who understand ministry and will provide a sounding board. Hopefully, you are gathering some of those here on campus. You need people that you can talk to about what's going on, that you're trying to navigate, that are not in the situation. You need to be very careful about the friend you choose to say these things to. But you need those people in your life that will help you see things from a godly perspective in the midst of the situation. But you also need a face-to-face -face mentor. You know, if you're accepting a job or ministry position, think about the person that's hiring you. Sometimes we get so desperate for a job, we don't really think about that. We just, or we want a job. But you need to know, is that person going to be a mentor to you? Uh, if they continually check their watch while you're sharing your vision and call, <laughs> You know, that's probably not a person that's going to be a mentor to you. That was just an aside. Just thought I'd share that with you. Um, mentoring follows the same pattern as leadership. You will be a mentor and you will need to be mentored. It doesn't matter your age, but when you're the top leader, it may change into an accountability partner. But that heart-to-heart -heart communication with someone who will ask the tough questions is essential in your ministry. So, it's all there, right in the one chapter book of 3 John.
Recently, my grandson, we bought him a Bible, and he was on the way home in our car, and he was trying to look up his Bible verse to, that he was supposed to learn the next week. And he said, um, Mima, my Bible doesn't have James. And, and the superior adult, I said, well, maybe I just need to help you find it, honey. When we get home, I'll help you find it. He said, no, it isn't there. It goes Hebrews, and then, and then there's James 5, but the rest of it is not there. I said, let me see that. And sure enough, a whole, the, almost the whole book of James was missing out of his Bible. He's in first grade, by the way. I said, yes, you are absolutely right. Well, you know, John, the third book of John, it's so short, you might never realize if it wasn't put in your Bible. It is only 14 verses. It's the second shortest book in the Bible. Yet John shares with us the reality of good and evil within the church and what our responsibility and response must be. He provides us a packing checklist for our journey in life and ministry. Do good and resist those who would draw you into the dissension. Do that which you know to be of God to the best of your ability. Value and keep your good name and keep a support group and find a mentor. It is really all there. I stand before you today, first of all, because of God's grace. And because I've tried to live by these maxims, I sat for a long time. When I got this done, I said, okay, I'm sure there's something that I live by that's not in there. And I thought and I thought and I thought, but really there isn't. It's all there, those four maxims. From growing up in a pastor's home to serving in Christian schools, churches, and Bible colleges, I think I've seen everything, but something will still surprise me tomorrow. I have seen many fall away from service because they only saw Diotrephes and not Demetrius. Some have followed Diotrephes while others were disillusioned by him. I pray that each of you will remember to read 3 John occasionally and will follow in the path of Demetrius and that one day we will say of you, some believers come, have come to me and told me that you are faithful to the truth. They told me that you continue to live by it. That gave me great joy. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are living by the truth. Let's, let's pray. Father, I thank you for the words. I thank you that you preserved this letter that all the wisdom in this letter have spoken to people through the ages that just in a simple 14 verse letter you say so much to us about the reality of the world we live in the reality in, of the churches and the places where we work and how we should live in the midst of that. Father, I pray that you would help each one of us to choose Demetrius. That when we're spoken of, we would be spoken of just like Demetrius.
that we follow you in all we do. Thank you for the example you left. Please help us to follow that example. In Jesus' name, amen. And go to his peace, you are dismissed.